That music means your next hour is going to be about connection. Welcome to This Show is All About You, a show dedicated to discussing and experiencing the things we all have in common. When you and me become we and explore what it means for all of us. Here's your host, historian, writer, social commentator, and a whole lot of other things, J.D.K. Winnikin. Welcome, welcome, welcome back, everyone, to another episode of This Show is All About You, the first one of 2023. I'm very excited to have you back. I am rejuvenated, rested, ready to roll after a few weeks off, and I'm really excited to share with you where I'm at, what I'm doing, and uh, kind of some fun things for this show uh, moving forward. So thank you so much for taking the next hour to spend this with me, whether you're listening live on uh, Kixie Radio in Seattle or uh, as a podcast. Thank you so much for doing so. And if you've missed any of this episode or all the other episodes that are out there, you can find this show wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find out more about me and my writing and all that other stuff that I like to do over at my website, wordsbyjdk.com. Or you can look me up on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, W-Y-N-E-K-E-N is my last name. And I would love to hear from you, get your feedback, get some ideas. And uh, if you'd ever like to uh, nominate a story to be told on the show, I would love to hear it. Uh, Introduce me to that person or that story, and let's see what we can do with it. All right. So, and also, I need to thank right out of the gate once again, uh, uh, the sponsor of this show, Airway Science for Kids. Uh, Airway Science for Kids is a nonprofit based down in the Portland, Oregon area, but eyeballing rapid expansion here in the next few years, that uh, works to help underserved youth find career and life pathways through the exploration of aerospace careers. And while that sounds very technical, and part of it is, uh, it's also very holistic. Uh, It's helping students better connect with themselves, better learn how to advocate for themselves, develop 21st century skills that can help them in all areas of life, and help better connect them within their families and in their communities uh, and to one another. And so if you'd like to know a lot more about the amazing work that Airway Science for Kids does, check out their website, airsci.org, and you will hear more about them during the break. Okay, so like I said, I've got a lot of energy uh, coming into 2023. So far, the year itself feels a little bit like that, uh, that gift of clothing you get from somebody at the holidays that... You think you like, but you're not sure when you put it on. I'm not sure about 2023 yet, but I'm going to be optimistic about it. I am, however, excited about uh, some things that are going to be going on with this show. You know, even though a new year, as I've talked about before, is kind of just whatever we invent it to be. I mean, the days don't change between December 31 and January 1st. And after that, it still is an opportunity, can be, for us to take a look at back on things and then where we'd like to go moving forward. And I've been doing that a little bit with the show, and it's one reason why I took a couple of weeks off was to kind of let it breathe and let myself rest and recharge. And And uh, some things came to me, and I'm going to make some adjustments here on the show. The show is going to continue uh, as it always has, and I'm very excited about that. Uh, but getting feedback from listeners over the last few months kind of coalesced around some ideas that I'm going to integrate into the show going forward. First of all, we'll, we'll continue to begin the show by looking at the news. Um, people seem to really like that. But then a lot of people said to me, you know, you, you know, whether you're talking about history or your own writing or um, whatever is going on in the news, uh, J.D., you're a storyteller. We'd like to hear some stories, uh, either of other people or something from history. Can you focus on that? And so 
after I do the news, my second segment moving forward uh, every week will be a story. So we'll start with what in the world is going on. Then it'll be like, who are we going to hear about today would be a second segment. And then the third uh, is going to be where am I at? So we're going to have to see how that works. Uh, what, <laughs> who, and where <laughs> every episode. And essentially, it's just going to be an update on me. What, what's going on with me in my writing pursuits? What's going on in uh, my coaching pursuits? What, whatever happens to be going on. It could be what I'm reading that's affected me. It could be something going on. Uh, and we're going to finish up with that every week. That'll be something that I think um, will just feel more engaging, I think, for everyone. And I'm excited about the different possibilities uh, for what that will mean uh, for the show. So stay tuned as following weeks roll, uh, roll on. I'll be introducing some, some new things that will sound a little bit different, but it's going to be around that framework. And we'll just try it out and see what happens. And I'm sure if you like it, you'll tell me. And I'm sure if you don't, <laughs> you'll tell me that too. Uh, and we'll respond accordingly. So... With that in mind, we're going to kick off this approach today. So let's start, as we always do, by taking a look at the news from the last few weeks in a segment that is called, What in the World is Going On? While the fighting is hot on the ground, a war of information or disinformation battles it out in the airwaves. Russia made some big claims today saying to have killed up to 600 Ukrainian soldiers during a rocket strike in the city of Kramatorsk. And this tit for tat started when Ukraine humiliated the Kremlin with its New Year's Day attack on a base in the occupied town of Makivka. The U.S. said Ukrainian HIMARS rockets like those seen here killed up to 500 Russian troops. Of course, one thing that will not be changed on this show is me continuing to talk about the war in Ukraine. I consider it a personal responsibility to continue to talk about it and keep it up front because I do think it continues to be perhaps the most important event going on in the world, not just because of the conflict itself, but because of the ramifications and the ripple effect it is having in all areas of life that does affect all of us wherever we happen to be, wherever we happen to sit. And on New Year's Day, of course, uh, Ukraine uh, hit a a Russian army barracks that was inexplicably combined with an arms de- uh, arms depot, you know, where they kept all their weapons. And uh, the resulting explosion sounds like, despite Russian claims otherwise, like it killed hundreds of Russian soldiers. And most of them were new conscripts, which means these were people that were called up in Vladimir Putin's uh, late 2022 partial mobilization, as he called it, where at least 300,000 young men were uh, brought into the military and sent to the front with very, very little training. And the stories about that uh, are horrendous. Uh, And, of course, what's happened is Russia has been trying to uh, even the score, shall you say. Other interesting things happening with that. More reports coming out that when exploded uh, Russian drones are found and investigated or missiles, the serial numbers and the manufacturing dates on them are rather recent, which suggests that essentially Russia is either manufacturing weapons or importing them so quickly because they're so low on their own stores that these are being immediately brought into the field. It could be an indication that Russia is literally running out of the ammunition they need to fight this war. It doesn't mean it's going to stop anytime soon because Putin doesn't seem to be interested in stopping that anytime soon. However, uh, the winter is fully underway And pretty soon we're going to start talking about spring. And in the spring, there will be new movements. And uh, in some ways, this might be the deep breath before that plunge. All right. Let's uh, get an update, too, on what's happening in the other big hotspot in the world, Iran. 
Is Iran on the verge of a revolution? The protests that began in mid-September with the death of Masa Amini, a young woman in the custody of the country's morality police, have evolved into something much bigger. The protesters are now taking direct aim at the clerical regime itself. Government's crackdown, including mass imprisonment, execution, have not cowed them. If anything, their voices have grown more strident, and it is the regime that is showing signs of strain. Calls for the death of Supreme Leader Ali Khamenei are now routine, as are the destruction of statues and posters of the regime's heroes. Something historians are always interested in, and political scientists and sociologists and many others, is, is when do a series of protests become a revolution? And it's oftentimes difficult to know exactly where the dividing line is between all of that, and sometimes it's only clear in retrospect. What seems clear in Iran is that this, these protests have gone on long enough that we can no longer simply call them protests. It has become something much bigger. Is it a revolution in the sense that it could topple this regime, the Islamic Republic? Uh, only time will tell with that. But what is remarkable is that as we are moving into the sixth month of those protests that are happening in every province of Iran, it's worth noting, and as Iran cracks down more and more, executing two more people over the last few days, both of them teenage boys, for their participation, the, the more that happens, the longer this is going to go. And the regime increasingly looks like one caught in a cycle of doom, <laughs> really, that it only knows certain amounts of ways to respond to crises. Normally, those work, and they're usually based around cowing people into submission. Those aren't working. In fact, they're doing the exact opposite. And what happens when a regime has been operating with those same trademark fundamental actions and attitudes for 40 plus years, it can be really difficult for them to think outside of that particular box. And they're up against a massive groundswell of people that seems to be getting bigger every single day that aren't constrained and aren't contained in whatever box the Islamic Republic would like them to stay in. And so it will be interesting to see what happens going forward but much as we're seeing in Ukraine with Russia, it looks like there will be more bloodshed and more upheaval for the foreseeable future. Okay, And then finally, the last piece we're going to look at is something that is equal parts embarrassing, infuriating, and confounding. And this happened in D.C. over the last few days. A speaker has not been elected. 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 Those were only the first first eight times that the spokesperson for the House of Representatives who was collecting the roll call on the votes for Speaker of the House uh, it's only eight times out of 14 that she had to say that over the last handful of days. Of course, I am talking about the, I don't even know the adjective to use, the saga uh, surrounding Kevin McCarthy's eventual election as Speaker of the House for the incoming Congress. An unprecedented level of dysfunction and embarrassment for McCarthy, who it took 15 votes to elect him, far and away the most amount of votes ever in American history to bring in a new Speaker of the House and it was equal parts uh, farce and uh, really kind of gross showboating on the part of a number of people, particularly those on the far right of the Republican Party, Matt Gates and others, who simply, in my opinion, 
understood very clearly that they were now going to be asked to actually govern, have no idea how to do it, have no intention of doing so, and so decided to make this as difficult as possible for somebody, in this case Kevin McCarthy, who they don't like personally for a lot of reasons. And McCarthy, with a lot of his own issues, particularly the fact that he is, first and foremost, a sycophantic suck-up um, to the political right, uh, he isn't exactly the most inspiring figure either. And so the stage has been set for perhaps one of the most dysfunctional congressional uh, rounds over the next two years that this country has ever seen, primarily because McCarthy is going to be very beholden to the far extreme sides of his own party, who are a lot more interested in obstruction, whether to you know, cloud their own role in the January 6th, 2021 uh insurrection or simply because that's what they got elected on was just being problems rather than actually governing all that taken together is going to prevent McCarthy from really seems like having a really strong authoritative ability to actually get things done that actually have to get done right legislation in particular so it is going to be um, quite an interesting ride and, and I think if you take a look at the response of Republicans in the Senate Mitch McConnell appeared with President Biden at a big event uh, in uh, Kentucky over the weekend. Uh, Republicans in the Senate are going to be probably pitching a very, very different version of what it means to be Republican than what their counterparts in the House are going to do. Um, and it would be hilarious if it wasn't so incredibly perilous for the country as a whole. Just to get the basic governing functions done is going to be an open question. And we should never be saying that um, about, our, uh, about our federal government. So we shall see what role this will play in the 2024 elections uh, yet to be seen, but it is not a good start for the new Congress. Okay, so with that in mind, that, oh, those are the big things that, uh, that have been going on for the last few weeks. And, and sadly, all three of those uh, what's going on in Ukraine, what's happening in Iran, and of course with political dysfunction here in the United States, are things that have just sort of transcended time and space, it seems like. They just continue to go on to the point that we uh, just check in with them on a daily basis. And we, there's a cadence to these things after a while, right? With, with Ukraine, more missiles get thrown into Ukraine. Ukraine responds with targeted attacks, slowing down the Russian offensive. In Iran, more people are getting executed and more calls uh, for overthrowing the regime rise. And in politics, more and more moments of outrage as this person from this direction says one thing that's outrageous and people respond with outrageous uh, you know, comments and that type of thing. And it can be very, very easy to uh, get very cynical about these things, to want to check out, to want to avoid, to perhaps dive in and contribute our own vitriol and our own anger, which essentially just makes... <laughs> the problem worse um, or simply not know what to do and freeze in place and just simply try to keep our heads down and all of that. And that certainly is a very difficult mix uh, to work through. But every once in a while, something happens uh, that can show that there can be a different way of doing things, looking at things, and that can provide us with a bit more of a sense of hope about what might be coming. And one of those things uh, is the focus of this week's story. Uh, and this will be the segment on who are we going to be talking about. And it's something that uh, a person got thrust into the limelight this past week who I guarantee you most people had not heard of uh, before all of this happened. 
And it led to an extraordinary week, not just for this person and several others that uh, he was directly connected to, but for the larger U.S. population as a whole. So when we come back from our first break on This Show is All About You, the first episode of 2023, I want to tell you about a person named Denny Killington. And we'll talk about who he is and why he mattered so much this week when we come right back. So stick around. Kids never have trouble dreaming about their future. The challenge is providing them the resources and opportunities to reach them. This is especially true from historically underserved communities. Fortunately, there's an organization that can help those dreams become reality. Airway Science for Kids helps underserved youth develop life and career pathways through exploration of aviation and aerospace. Using in-person and virtual programs, along with partnerships with companies, educational institutions, community health providers, and other resources, Airway Science for Kids helps students not only find their dream careers, but also learn how to better advocate for themselves and connect more effectively with their families, peers, and communities. To find out more, visit airsci.org. That's A-I-R-S-C-I dot org. Or email info at airsci.org. Airway Science for Kids, providing aerospace for all. Welcome back to This Show is All About You, everyone. I'm your host, J.D.K. Winnikin. Welcome to 2023. This is the first episode. And uh, debuting um, a little bit of a new adjusted format uh, this week, kind of working on it these next few episodes. And uh, it, in this, this second segment, we're going to be listening to, uh, hearing about a story that maybe some of you are familiar with, uh, some of you maybe haven't heard yet. Uh, it'll be different each week, uh, and you'll find that out when you show up. Uh, but nevertheless... This week, what I, who I'd like to talk about is a man named Denny Kellington. And uh, if some of you might be going, have I heard this name before? Maybe you have if you've been paying uh, attention, particularly in sports-related news. Uh, but this was something that became much bigger. Now, uh, Denny Kellington, um, he's an athletic trainer. And he was the uh, at Syracuse University. He graduated from Ohio State University. Uh, and he was at Syracuse University as the head uh, trainer for their football team from 2005 to 2017. And since then, since 2017, he has been an assistant trainer, medical trainer, with the Buffalo Bills of the National Football League. And a number of you right now are probably going, oh, okay, that's where I've heard of this. Um, Because uh, Denny Kellington has become, particularly in Buffalo, New York, has become a local hero, and his name has been Uh, slowly spreading across the country and beyond uh, because last Monday night during the Monday night football game between the Buffalo Bills and the Cincinnati Bengals in Cincinnati in front of a live television audience that was in the millions, this was a very highly anticipated game, uh, Denny and other 17 other medical professionals supported by 13 more in the stadium in Cincinnati literally saved the life on the football field of Buffalo Bills defensive back DeMar uh, DeMar Hamlin, who collapsed after he made a tackle on a Cincinnati receiver. That receiver had hit him right in the chest, and it appears that stopped his heart. Uh, Hamlin got up from the tackle, was standing for just a second or two, and then collapsed. And it was pretty grim footage. Um, most most places have kind of scrubbed the Internet of being able to see that because it is pretty upsetting. 
Um, I myself missed it. I was actually at a spin class and I have my phone out when I'm doing my spin class because I use it to measure my heart rate on a monitor that I have. And all of a sudden my phone started blowing up with notices and texts from friends saying, what, you know, are, you, are you watching this? And of course I wasn't, but uh, I caught up on it pretty quickly after the class. And what happened was uh, this happened not too far from where Danny Kellington was standing, paying attention on the sidelines with the rest of the team. And uh, there's some recordings where you can hear this. And it was clear that Kellington knew this was out of the ordinary, that this was a bad situation, and that it was out of the ordinary. It was not your standard, quote-unquote, standard NFL injury. And there are oftentimes injuries in the NFL, more often than there should be, where people are taken off on stretchers, taken off on carts, occasionally put on an ambulance in the middle of the field, if usually for a neck injury, uh, something like that. And those certainly get everyone's attention. Uh, it had been... Over 50 years since uh, a football player had collapsed on the football field with their heart stopped. Um, Charles Hughes, back in uh, about 51 years ago, died. Um, wide receiver just collapsed for the Detroit Lions and died on the field. So this had not been seen in the modern era. And this was happening in front of a national audience. And uh, there's recordings of Kellington on the sidelines where you can hear him say, I don't like the way he fell, literally, when he said that. And he called out the the first wave of the emergency response. And then it was Kellington himself, as everyone descended in, and it was clear from the medical staff's point of view that this was an out-of-the-ordinary situation, Kellington spent upwards of nine minutes performing CPR on DeMar Hamlin to keep him alive. Because when his heart stopped, of course, he had stopped breathing. And in order to get oxygen, to keep oxygen flowing, and to keep blood flowing so the oxygen that was left in his body could get to his brain and therefore prevent brain damage, they had to keep going while they administered everything they needed to, uh, which was, and then essentially getting him hooked up to oxygen with a breathing tube. Uh, for upwards of 20 minutes, uh, Hamlin was on the field before being moved into an ambulance uh, and sent to the University of Cincinnati Medical Center, where uh, for the next 48 hours, nobody really knew what was going to happen. And, and this was remarkable from a sports standpoint. Everything stopped for the National Football League. And, and in the United States, here in the U.S., for those international listeners, here in the United States, the NFL is the thing. It is the biggest sport in the country. It, it determines a lot of what people watch. Annually, every year, some of the most watched television events are live football games, and this was going to be one of the most highest rated, uh, this game on Monday night. And so for the NFL to stop first, what it was doing, the game was canceled, um, first postponed that night, and then the NFL announced a day or two later that it would not be made up, despite the fact that that really messed with the playoff seating. We're getting to the end of the season, and uh, they just said, we're not going to do this. The focus became so quickly away from what was happening in the sport for everyone and focused exactly where it needed to be on DeMar, um, DeMar Hamlin and his condition. And for a good 48 hours, there was not a whole lot of word. The day after the game, uh, everybody knew he was alive. He was in intensive care. He was on a ventilator. He was uh, sedated. Uh, and the reason why that was the case is because with a traumatic uh, situation like that, when the heart stops, all the organs in the body are affected. And in order to get oxygen back into the body, the body has to be sedated, cooled down, slowed down, so then oxygen levels can slowly be brought back in and hopefully – bring those organs back up to their normal function, and then in that process, hopefully bring the patient, in this case, DeMar Hamlin, out of this sedation 
with hopefully their neurological abilities intact. And that was the idea. And so Denny Kellington had made sure that to the best of his ability, along with those people around him supporting him, that they could get Hamlin from that emergency situation where, where he was technically dead on the field, his heart stopped. Get him from there to where that process at the University of Cincinnati Medical Center could begin, be monitored, and he could get the best care available. As it turns out, um, two, of the, two of the best cities, uh, in, well, Cincinnati is one of the best cities in the country in terms of its medical center for those, uh, I guess you could call it reviving people from these types of things. And so the fact that University of Cincinnati is one of the top hospitals for that in the country uh, is very, very fortunate, or call it a blessing if you like. It's also very fortunate that it's very close to Paycor Stadium, where the Cincinnati Bengals play. What was amazing about this was as the week played out and slowly after 48 hours, uh, DeMar, Ham- uh, DeMar Hamlin began to steadily come out of this. And there were announcements increasingly, first from his family and then from doctors um, at the medical center, that he was improving. First, it was his, he was his ability to write came back. As he was slowly coming out of it, he was, uh, had the ventilator so he couldn't speak. But the first thing he asked when he was beginning to come out of this was, who won the game? Did we win? which indicated to the doctors that his neurological function was indeed intact, which meant Danny Kellington, his efforts for nine minutes, did exactly what they were, it was supposed to do. It prevented damage to Hamlin's brain, to the rest of his body, and uh, that was really, really good news. And a lot of people around the country who by this point had rallied uh, around this story it brought the first sign of good news that there had been in a couple of days. Uh, the night that the accident happened, or the, the night that this happened, a bunch of Bengals fans went to the hospital, uh, this where Hamlin was, and held a vigil with Bills fans outside of uh, the hospital. A number of Bengals fans led a drive along with Bills fans to uh, provide donations to Hamlin's charity that uh, gives toys to kids at the holidays. Uh, a GoFundMe was set up for that, that the original goal was $2,500. At last check, it's over $9 million at this point. So a number of people from around, not just the sports world, but from around the world literally contributed to this as a way to participate. And there was a lot of goodwill being exchanged between the fan bases of the Cincinnati Bengals and the, and the Buffalo Bills. And a lot of awareness and discussion going on among sports leagues in general, which are really prominent in the United States. And as a result, the conversations happening in those leagues trickled into the larger population about what really matters when we talk about sports and when we really talk about life. And in the end, the sports didn't matter at all. And that was the interesting thing to see here. And when people were able to, when push came to shove, what mattered more to people was the fate of this one man's life. Would he survive? Didn't matter if he ever plays football again. We won't know. As of this morning, he's been released from the hospital in Cincinnati and is, is now back in Buffalo and is uh, at a hospital there for further, for further treatment. We won't know that. But nobody cared about that. One of the things that sports can do in its best moments is that it can, can <laughs> remove and fudge away those divides that we often have. Certainly, if you're a fan of one sports team, you go to a game and you know that you're sitting around with 40,000 other people 
who probably have differing opinions on just about everything. But that's not what you're there for. You're there to all root for the same team. So when they do something really well, you high-five each other and you don't ask for each other's political party affiliation, their religious background, any of those things before you do that. You just simply accept that that's what you're there for. And in this case, it went even a step further, where instead of people becoming fans of teams, they became a fan for a person, for a person who was going through something unprecedented that had not been seen on a football field publicly like that in maybe ever. Instead of really focusing on all the things that normally divide us, even something as simple as rivalries between sports teams, which sadly sometimes results in violence in various places. It's happened in Los Angeles, in New York, in Chicago. It happens on Little League uh, baseball fields, sadly. Uh, But this was a case where the whole country seemed to be paying close attention to what was happening. And everybody was rooting for this kid. He's 24 years old, DeMar Hamlin. And because of the preparation that Denny Kellington and those around him, there were 30 people in that stadium dedicated solely to medical necessity where it needed because of that it allowed not only Hamlin to survive but it provided this remarkable moment and series of moments where in the midst of all the different types of turmoil that I talked about at the top of the show in the midst of all that here was something remarkably human something that wasn't about division and violence but actually about coming together more unity, or at least more agreement, more putting down of all these other things that don't matter, and in the end, about supporting someone who was fighting for his life. And it's, it doesn't just take moments like this to see that. We can see it anywhere. When, when there's an emergency anywhere, like right now, flooding in Northern California, for example, or when there's forest fires along in, in the American West, or in Buffalo, the huge snowstorm that happened that killed 44 people just a few weeks ago, And things like that happen. People help each other out and they don't ask those questions about what they're divided on. They don't ask their political affiliation. They just go out and they help them. It tends to be when human moments happen, it tends to show us, generally speaking, the artificial nature of so many of our divisions in the end. It's not a surprise that the great philosophical traditions all talk about and religious traditions all talk about the unity of the human experience and the human spirit and oftentimes highlight what really does matter as opposed to what doesn't. And sadly, what happens is the things that don't matter are often so divisive that they lead to consequential, consequential actions for individuals and for society as a whole around things that in the big scheme of things shouldn't matter, but then they do. And that raises a whole series of new challenges and resentments and divisions and so on and so on. But what I appreciated so much about this story, besides the fact that Hamlin has survived and it sounds like he's going to be okay, is that from the very beginning of this whole thing, there was a selflessness action taken to save him by experts who knew what to do, a level of teamwork that is required to save lives all of this planned out in advance. Everybody was ready for what this, what this uh, situation might provide or might present. And they responded, even though probably none of them went there actually expecting anything like that to happen. They were ready. And then 
the people who could do nothing about it, starting with the bystanders in the, in the uh, stands at the stadium, followed by the people in Cincinnati and in Buffalo, followed by the rest of the country, all then responded, with the exception of a few cesspool areas on Twitter, responded largely positively and in a way that was encouraging and enriching and reminding that at our best, this is the type of thing that human beings can do for one another. This is how beings can be, human beings can be to one another. And how many of these divisions in the end maybe need to be reevaluated for how hard we want to hold on to them. And all of that started with Denny Kellington. Yesterday, the Buffalo Bills played their first game since uh, the game was canceled on Monday night against New England Patriots, and it was in Buffalo, New York. And uh, the opening kickoff, the Bills ran back for a touchdown, and it had been the first time in three years and three months that that had happened for Buffalo. And DeMar Hamilton's number is three. So you've seen the number three everywhere. And so that was really uh, a big moment for them. And then later in the game, a Bills receiver caught a touchdown pass and immediately found Denny Kellington and handed him the ball, the game ball, as a recognition to him. And at halftime, Kellington and the rest of the medical team that had saved Hamlin's life were brought out to midfield and honored by the crowd there at the Bills Stadium. And the standing ovation went on for a good seven minutes. In the end, a, a story that clearly is working out well because Hamlin is okay. And uh, he, he was able to talk with his teammates and cheer them on. He was even able to respond on Twitter to that, that kickoff return for a touchdown. And, uh, and again, he's back in Buffalo as of today. So it all worked out in that sense. Whether or not the lesson from this or the lessons from this will be learned and integrated, who knows. But the very fact that the NFL uh, showed this and that this happened in the NFL is remarkable. And it also raises the question, if it can happen in the NFL, shouldn't it be able to happen in our politics? <laughs> One would hope. Who knows if that's the case or not. But if you hadn't heard the name of Denny Kellington, I wanted to make sure you had. You had chances are heard of DeMar Hamlin. You'll continue to hear about him. Um, but uh, Denny Kellington is worth, uh, worth celebrating uh, that name as well. Uh, and guaranteed we'll be learning more and more about the rest of the medical staff that was on hand because it wasn't just Kellington alone, and he'll be the first person to say that. He did his job. You had 29 other people doing their jobs and then even more people at the hospital doing their jobs, and that's what saved this life. And I love that lesson. You have literally dozens, if not hundreds of people specially trained for this, and by working together, they worked to save one life. It reminds me of that old Star Trek uh, quote that goes back even earlier than that. Um, oh, I'm going to mess up the quote. But essentially it says the, the good of the many, <laughs> the idea is the good of the many outweighs the needs of the few. This is the exact opposite. The need of one outweighed the interests of the many. And they saved his life. It's humanity at its best, and it's worth enshrining. So hope you enjoyed that story. And when we come back after our second break, dovetail off of that into some things that are going on with me. So uh, stick around here on This Show is All About You.
to talk. Don't Ask Me to Talk is a program about sharing something good. Hosted by me, Stacey Heller, with my co-host and my mom's favorite, Eric Ryder, Don't Ask Me to Talk echoes what we're talking about when we aren't being so serious. We'll highlight what's good to watch, read, see, listen to, and more with a reoccurring spot with Vance Dingfelder of Dingfelder's Delicatessen called What Are We Eating? Tune in Thursdays from 3 to 4 on AM 880 KIXI. Welcome back, everyone, to this show is all about you. I'm your host, J.D.K. Winnikin. And uh, in this last segment, I'm going to talk uh, moving forward. We're going to spend this talking a little bit about where I'm at. A lot of uh, listeners and readers from my website have asked me to uh, maybe spend a little more time each week talking about what's going on with me. As uh, If you're new to the show, uh, I have a lot of different interests besides doing this podcast. I'm also finishing up certification to become a uh, human potential coach, and I do a, another podcast with my friend, a fellow uh, human potential coach, Tony Santabria, called Breaking Up With Our BS that you can find wherever you get your podcasts. And we're writing a book together. I also have got my own uh, kind of fledgling writing career that I'm trying to build. I, I've written a alternate history fiction novel that I've been pitching to agents uh, for a few years now. Haven't found any success yet, uh, but I am continuing to fight the good fight. Uh, I've got that. I also um, write poetry and short stories and essays on various things, and I post that at wordsbyjdk.com. And uh, so I got a lot of things going on, and I pay attention to a lot of things going on in the world. Clearly, I follow sports. Clearly, I follow politics and global events. Um, I follow music, film, all these types of things. And so uh, the request has been made by a number of people. Let's let us know where you're at a little more often. So why not do that every week? So so where am I this week? Well, coming off of the holidays that were really, really nice and relaxed uh, and quiet. I appreciated that. They also provide an opportunity for introspection if we choose to, to take it and, and taking a look at how we want to maybe do some things differently going forward. And I'm one of those people who tends to do that. Uh, fairly quietly. I may, maybe don't necessarily tell a lot of people close to me that that's what I'm doing. I have uh, some friends who, who literally disconnect and unplug for a while and um, kind of withdraw uh, in a retreat in a good way, I should say. I really take a look at things and then you know, re-engage as the month goes on. Um, I can see the value in that. And one of these days I'll probably do that. But for the most part, I just do this on my own and then um, reach these conclusions without a whole lot of people <laughs> necessarily knowing about it. Uh, but it's been good. And uh, I feel really refreshed, rejuvenated and inspired. With everything going on, though, where I am today is I've been thinking a lot about Abraham Lincoln, believe it or not. Uh, longtime listeners of this show are probably not surprised by that. I uh, Abraham Lincoln is one of the historical figures that that I'm fascinated by the most and that I admire the most. And uh, for Christmas, uh, one of the gifts I got was uh, the historian John Meacham, who is one of the one of the most foremost historians in the United States. He's at Vanderbilt University, but he's won the Pulitzer Prize. Uh, he's for a number of different books, and his newest one is a new biography of Abraham Lincoln called "And There Was Light." Subtitles: Abraham Lincoln and the American Struggle. There are many biographies of Abraham Lincoln. In fact, Lincoln is one of the most written about. Uh, historical figures anywhere, uh, depending on the uh, depending on the the poll you look at, uh, the historical figure discussed the most uh, by more people over the most amount of time. Jesus of Nazareth, probably not a big surprise there, but Abraham Lincoln is usually in the top five somewhere. A lot of people find him fascinating, even outside the American context, 
because of the nature of the human being as well as the consequential time in which he was president, which he lived, the lead up to the Civil War, and then of course he was president during the Civil War, and sadly assassinated just a week after that war concluded, one of the great what-if moments in history, American history at least, what would have happened after the Civil War had he not been assassinated. But what this book is about, Meacham's book is really about the internal, moral, ethical, spiritual struggle that Lincoln faced throughout his life to try to better understand slavery, its role in American life leading up to the Civil War, and how to balance together the political and social realities of the United States at the time with what was clear to Lincoln for a very long time, the moral anathema the evil of slavery as an institution and as a practice. And Meacham, who is known for very uplifting books, not in a naive way, but he likes to focus on the promise of America rather than its downfall. What stands out in this, that Meacham does a, a wonderful job so far in showing, is that this was a long and winding road for Lincoln to get to the point where in 1863 he issues as president the Emancipation Proclamation which right in the middle of the Civil War liberated all slaves that were in territories that had been conquered by the Union Army as they moved into the uh, South and took these areas from the Confederacy. And then eventually it became the blueprint for uh, the eventual abolishment of slavery. And Lincoln, of course, led the effort to, um, to push through the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments to the U.S. Constitution. Uh, the film Lincoln from 2015, I believe, uh, Steven Spielberg's historical biopic, uh, focuses on that effort to pass the 13th Amendment. All of that taken together shows that, Meacham shows anyway, that this, was a, this wasn't an easy road for Lincoln. And it wasn't because he had to decide whether he was a racist or he wasn't a racist, because it, it wasn't nearly that simple. Lincoln was a very complicated man, a very serious man, a very sensitive man in a lot of ways, besides being extraordinarily educated. He's most famous, of course, for being a lawyer before he became a politician, first a congressman, then um, ran for Senate and did not get there, and then eventually ran for president and won it in 1860. Uh, he was also a writer. He was, a, he was internally very critical, not only of himself, but of the outside world. He was known for having a very shrewd, original mind. Uh, and he had deep, deep passions. He felt his feelings very deeply, even if he didn't always express them openly. And they oftentimes could come out in uh, some explosions of temper here and there, but also um, moments of very clear tenderness towards the people that not only were closest to him, but for people in the societies and the eras in which he lived who were most unfortunate. Uh, one of the reasons I also resonate with Lincoln is because he, he was a writer. He didn't think of himself much as a writer. And um, I hesitate to do anything to compare myself to Abraham Lincoln, but one of the things that I, I do relate to with him is where writing fits for him. Writing, uh, he once described, and I'm paraphrasing it, as... Um, the only way he could oftentimes express what was deepest in him. Even though he was an excellent off-the-cuff speaker and an excellent speechwriter, writing itself, sitting down and writing, particularly poetry, is what inspired him. And one of the things I do write is poetry. I'm the most reluctant to talk about it, but it's often the form of writing that I'm engaged with the most. And I have various muses from various directions. 
Um, some of those are people. Some of those are, are topics and circumstances. Um, and you just never know where that's going to go. But one of the things I love about Lincoln is that he started writing when he was very young. Uh, and when he was a kid, he wrote what later on he called his very first poem. And this is how it goes. It's actually recorded for posterity. And this is his first poem from when he was a kid. Here it goes. Abraham Lincoln, his hand and pen. He will be good, but God knows when. <laughs> uh, it's uh, not quite a haiku, but it's a very, very short poem. He will be good, but God knows when. Well, and of course, looking back on his life, right, it's easy to say, well, uh, he played a very, very important role at a, at a crucial moment in American history. It wasn't about just the fate of the Civil War and of slavery, but about where the United, with, with the United States even exist after that. And uh, the strain, of course, of his life and the, that experience, it ended up costing him his life eventually, not because of his own hand, but by that of John Wilkes Booth, his assassin. But I've been thinking a lot about Lincoln in the sense that, for me, it's always a good reminder that we should be allowed, we should allow ourselves uh, to take time to wander through and consider the big questions that confront us. Many, many times Lincoln rethought his positions on various elements of slavery and division and politics uh, and religion in his life. He, uh, he seemed unconcerned about the idea of needing to do that, even though he understood there were real consequences. Um, you know, in case of changing his mind on religious questions, there could be consequences for his soul. In politics, consequences for his political career or for, for his family. He was very aware of that, and yet it never seemed to dissuade him from being willing to do that if the, con the combination of his intellect and his, for lack of a better, his emotional compass told him otherwise. If that suggested to him that he needed to question something, he did it, even if it meant uncertainty. And there's a resilience to Lincoln that I admire and a willingness to step into the uncomfortable and a willingness to say to himself and to others, I do not know the clear answer to that. We live in an era where everybody seems to think they need to have a clear answer for something and have it immediately. And then once they put it out there in a tweet, in an email, in a statement, that they need to defend it to the hilt, to the death, for as long as they live. Right? As if it's some sort of bizarre marriage, that you are married to your words, you cannot change your mind, you must stay with them. We live in an era where that seems to be what is expected. And if you change your mind, uh, you open yourself to a lot of different name calling, right? Wishy-washy, you know, turn about, uh, finger in the wind. And there certainly is, there is that. That is a real thing. And so it doesn't mean that all our principles should shift. But what I appreciated about Lincoln was that he understood that it wasn't a simple equation of know your principles and then all your ideas and beliefs follow and they exist in perpetuity and they never change. Some change more than others. Others do not. I find that encouraging. Um, I have been one and sometimes still am where I can take a look at a lot of different points of view on something and I'm not necessarily quite sure where I fit in on that. And sometimes in the past, I've been reluctant to share that with people in conversations and debates and discussions. Uh, and sometimes that's left me feeling like I don't really know what it is that I, I think on something. Lincoln reminds me, and Meacham does a nice job of reminding all of this, that, that it's okay to not know 
the answer. What matters most is understanding the importance of an issue to wrestle with. And then what are the larger principles behind it? That those need to be solved and addressed or discussed and debated in the spirit of something larger than simply the issues of the time. For Lincoln, it was the health of individual Americans and the health of the country. And then even beyond that, what was best for humanity? He believed strongly that America at the time in the 19th century as an experiment and an example of democracy that everybody was watching around the world to see if this could work. And he took that responsibility very seriously and understood that while he believed that democracy was the right avenue for humanity to pursue, it wasn't a given that it would work, that it would require the very things he was doing and the American people were doing and wrestling with. But he hoped that at some point, particularly after the Civil War started, that beyond that, the larger principles that unite humanity together would win out and that we would shoot for a betterment of American society and then world society by extension by recognizing that as important as these things were, they could not involve the debasement of other people any longer, the enslavement of them, and that they had to champion the idea that humans, no matter where they came from, what they looked like, what they believed in, mattered and had equal rights to their life, to opportunity, and to freedom. Those principles, you know, when you hear Lincoln, when you read what Lincoln wrote about them and how he talked about them, can't help but be inspiring. And when you put them side by side with what a lot of the historical discourse is today, it's sobering. And yet what I appreciate about Meacham's book is this reminder that history often does, is that if, if something was true once in history, it can be true again. If there's something about the human spirit that has been lost, Perhaps it can be recaptured because it never really went away. It's just been buried under stuff that doesn't matter. Much like the Hamlin story brought out for a lot of people what really does matter when push comes to shove, Lincoln has been doing the same for me as I've been reading this book of late. And that has me kind of easing up on myself a little bit <laughs> when it comes to these bigger questions about politics and that type of thing because I don't always know. But it also encourages me to keep my eye on something bigger. And what it reminds me is that in the end, the thing that matters the most to me when it comes to my fellow human beings is their inherent right to dignity, to freedom, to the integrity of themselves, and to have the ability to become who they choose to become, to pursue what they choose to pursue. And in the end, I like the fact that Lincoln and I at least have that in common. So that's where I've been as I've been reading that book this week. And it's been inspiring my writing in some ways. I've been writing more poetry, not Lincoln-like poetry, <laughs> but my own. Uh, in fact, I'm almost at the point where I think I might have enough for a collection. Um, so I might be putting something together. I don't know what I'm going to do with it. I don't know if I'll try the traditional publishing route or if I'll maybe just uh, self-publish it, make it available through my website and social media. That's still up in the air. Uh, you can go to my website, wordsbyjdk.com, and uh, if you look in uh, some of the, the story areas there, there are some examples of some of my poems there. Uh, I need to update those a little bit for you, but you can find some of it there. Um, I don't rhyme a lot. I tend to go real free verse, <laughs> but that's what I like. Um, and, of course, as you know, if you listen to the show, I end the show every week with a haiku that I write. Some are pretty good. Some I could take or leave, but nevertheless, 
that's what's been, that's where I'm at this week. So I'm going to be working more on poetry and I'll tell you a little bit more next week about the play that I'm working on. So we'll talk about that next week. So, all right. Well, I appreciate you joining me on this episode of this show is all about you. Uh, before I go, just a reminder, check out wordsbyjdk.com. You can connect with me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. would love to hear your thoughts on this. Tell me some stories that you'd like me to cover on the show. I'd love to hear about that. And then you can ask any other questions, leave comments there. Remember, if you missed any of this episode, uh, you can get this show wherever you get your podcasts. As my thank yous that I do every week, this show is all about you. It's produced and distributed by Hubbard Radio Seattle. Eric Ryder is my in-studio producer, editor, and mix master sitting across from me. Thank you, Eric. show is made possible by the generous sponsorship of Airway Science for Kids. Check them out at airside.org. And the original theme music for the show is by Dave Nelson of Lens Group Media. Special thanks for contributing to this episode and all that went well for me this week has to go to Tawny, uh, excuse me, Julia Cannell, Tawny and Dave Santabria, Stacey Heller, Bruce Flommer, Bruce Bullard, Ashley Gneebel, Seth Mormon, Phil McCoy, Kirsten O'Malley, Emily McFetrich, Adelina Popescu, Monica Kokova, Katie Beck, and Eric Crema. Special thoughts need to go out this week to all my friends in California dealing with what is becoming an, clearly an unprecedented series of storms in the area. Stay safe, everybody. Get in touch when you can. Special thanks to Bruce Bullard, my trainer, for helping me see a new imperative to take care of my own health. Bruce, get better soon, my friend. And thank you once again to Airway Science for Kids for their continued support and their creative help with this show. And of course, to you listeners, thank you. I couldn't do this for you without you. And to send you off for the rest of your week, let's end with this original haiku. See what you think. New ideas and opportunities can make us all feel younger. Chins up, everyone. <laughs>